Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Eat, Eat It Up. We do really good um, hand gestures with it. I, people can't yes. see them, but we do some really It's like cool we're a judge work. coming down with the, with the galvin or whatever. With the gavel. Mine are more <laughs> kind gavel. of cheeky hands. Yeah, yours are uh, witchy hands. I'm more like a stern yeah. judge. I'm kind of witchy. You're more judicial. That's how our yeah. relationship is. <laughs> Every friend has a witch. Every friend pairing has a witch and a judge. Yeah, the common, the classic duo. You sentenced but me to hello, death. everyone. <laughs> Welcome back to Eat It Up. This is weird, sorry, because my laptop's on one side, but my mic is in front of me. Yeah. It's not my usual setup, so I'm like, do I look at my mic or do I look at Sam? Right. Uh, I guess we'll see. You might just get a, a profile of me. She doesn't want to look at me, even though I got a gorgeous new haircut that she didn't even I can't comment stand. on. <laughs> didn't even compliment because me on it. Because you don't hear a comment doesn't mean that it wasn't made. Maria alleges <laughs> that she complimented me before I got my headphones on, so she said it, but I just didn't hear it, which seems untruthful but i don't know if someone was prepared and had their headphones on from the start they would know that the that, is true. Of- <laughs> that is true but anyways this is the podcast where we talk about bites of history as we snack on bites from cafes patisseries places in our restaurants restaurants even even <laughs> even restaurants and I thought you were gonna add something no, else there just and I was that's like, all <laughs> all right yeah so what are you snacking on this week sam well after kind of a a bit of a spotty streak on my end with no snacks um (laughs) i got a you're gonna not even believe this a custard milkshake oh custard chocolate milkshake from clive burger in calgary it's on 17th ave and maybe 7th street wow Um, what is the cust what does that involve so it's a cusp from my understanding and i don't really know i didn't do research but like i used to have Mm -hmm. this all the time like when i was in high school here we'd we'd always go to club burger um Mm -hmm. it's like a custard based shake like i don't even know like oh if it's milk i don't even know it's ice cream like i think it's cust like when when they make it i don't see ice cream i see like custard but it's not wow. like it's not like dessert full dessert custard because obviously like yes. that wouldn't work. It's it's some kind of hybrid thing. And what flavor did you get? Sorry, chocolate naturally. Chocolate. When you showed it to me, it looked very vanilla. Yeah, it's very just... pale, but like it is. Yeah, they could have maybe gone a bit heavier on the chocolate sauce, but hey, what do okay. I know? It looks gorge. Yeah, but did you get? So this week I went to Mr. Chew's Tea and Coffee, which is like the best bubble tea place in White Rock. Wow. And I got a mango slush with pearls on the bottom just because today it's very hot out here. And I was like, I don't know that I want like a whole thing of like milk. (laughs) Right, right, right. So the mango slush is is really yummy um, and pearls, which are like so good because they give me something to chew on. (laughs) Right. But mm-hmm. don't swallow them too much. Maria's always warning me. If you, if you have too many of the pearls all at once, you can end up like that person that went, um, there's like a meme that went viral on Facebook of this woman who like literally had to get like 4,000 bulbas like that were glommed on together. I said it stomach. one time. I no, everyone time. tells me this story. I'm like, I don't think it's real, but. Yeah, it doesn't sound super lot? real. Yeah. It's like when my brother was saying, hey, Thomas, he was saying that Apple was going to like, 
basically shut down all sixes and sevens and anyone who had like an iPhone six or seven would have to go repurchase the newer model. And I was like, that sounds fake. And he goes, it probably is. And I'm like, no, we should both know that it actually is. I love that. They're just like, (laughs) absolutely fuck you people with iPhone six and sevens. (laughs) Poor people. No. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's hilarious. I mean, they kind of indirectly do that with the whole planned obsolescence shtick, but yes. And when you update and it becomes a lot slower, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. But so Neat. shitty. <laughs> That's so shitty. Apple does that. And yeah. So Sam, what are we chatting about today? Well, Maria, we're chatting about the Iranian revolution. Right. Okay. I didn't know how to pronounce it. This is my bad. I wasn't sure if it was the Iranian. Re- <laughs> this is my catch. I never know how to pronounce things properly, but it's Iranian um i'm not confident that's the proper way to say it i'm not sure if it's iranian iranian i think it's potato to potato potato tomato tomato kind of thing <laughs> potato potato <laughs> potato potato so um okay yeah i'm glad i could kind of make that into a teachable moment for you <laughs> thank Already you for we're learning. giving me your wisdom <laughs> yeah it's so is this like the cool. continuation of kind of like the oil crisis we did earlier um no maybe not in any way not in my knowledge but i'm gonna be honest for you and to the listeners that this is perhaps not my most um thoroughly researched comprehensive (laughs) episode it's a bit scrambled so and and i might have missed the link to the 1973 oil crisis it does it does actually have to do a lot with oil but or yes. partially. No, oil. I'm sorry. I don't I think it's just because there were two crises in the 70s. Mm. The first was in 73. And I think the second one, I thought it was in 79 with the Iranian Revolution. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know. I could be wrong. You can I cut don't it out. You can know. Cut it. I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. This is also kind of an opportunity for you and for the listeners and for myself to kind of like take this as a point of departure and then to kind of learn on our own. To, you know answer the right. questions that we couldn't get to so. go on your own and figure it out yeah so that's kind of that's the new model of the pod because cool. i can figure it Love out that. so so yeah <laughs> anyways i'm excited um yeah we i hadn't done a revolution in a while or something so i was like no <laughs> something no. dramatic but we've been sticking pretty close to europe so it's nice to yeah. dip our toes into something else yeah just to dip our little toes little little piggies yeah um oh. creepy um okay well maria what do you know about the iranian revolution do you know anything about it Mm -mm. i honestly don't know one bit i maybe learned about it in history class but not thoroughly naturally and then i I, in my head the only thing that i thought was like it was the second oil crises of the 70s that it triggered that but i don't know if that's true i don't know anything about it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my understanding is no it didn't directly trigger it cool. the oil was okay. like oil was really wrapped up with a lot of like the the revolutionary activity so okay class divide that was a big part of it anyways um okay how are we gonna do this i don't even have a plan of attack let's do let's do <laughs> what do you want to do first do you want to do like the actual events of the revolution and then Ooh. and then kind of what led up to like the causes of it or should i do kind of just more general background leading up to the actual events oh this is sort of like a pick your own story. it is maria is live choosing how this podcast is gonna go <laughs> Because I have no clue. I think I kind of prefer the the events and then we unpack it afterwards. Right. So like talk cool. about what happened and then what led up to it, et cetera. Cool. 
Hopefully everyone okay. listening is fine with that too, but I've made yeah. the decision. <laughs> okay. No, that's perfect. Okay. So, um, so the Iranian revolution, just like in broad strokes, what happened? Um, mm-hmm. So the, the Iranian monarchy prior to 1979, which was when the, the Iranian revolution, um, I guess the, the revolution is a series of events, but the change of regime happened in, in 79. Prior okay. to that, um, you had uh, the Pahlavian regime, the, the Iranian monarchy, basically, who uh, had power in the country, uh, autocratic rule, um, had undertaken kind of a series of modernizing reforms in the 50s to the 70s until the end of the revolution. There was a huge backlash from the Iranian people and particularly from um, the ulama, which is like the... Um, the Shia Muslim like clergy in the in the I don't love to use the word clergy because it's like a Catholic term and it's not really the same right. but I'll say clergy just because I don't know what else to say like religious leaders yes. um caused a, a bunch of backlash and eventually in, in 70 uh, there was like a series of of protests and violence government crackdown and eventually um the leader at the time um the the Shah uh Shah uh, Muhammad Shah Muhammad Reza um flees the country and the um, new supreme leader comes into to play. He was um, an ayatollah, which ayatollah, which was um, like a senior um, Shia uh, leader, like thinker, um, and had right. been critical of the regime, the Pahlavian regime, this this Iranian monarchy, um, and becomes the the supreme leader, kind of um, of the country. And from then on, it's under kind of this. Um, fundamentalist Shia uh, rule. So it becomes a theocracy. So whereas in a lot of Western liberal democracies, um, you know, there's freedom of religion is guaranteed, like in Canada, um, the US in in a lot of countries around the world, um, in liberal democracies, Mm -hmm. one of the fundamental premises and constitutional principles is that the state, uh, there is no establishment of religion, or if there is, it's Mm -hmm. it's very, very weak. In Iran, following the 79 revolution, you have a transition from the secular um, monarchy to a fundamentalist Islamic uh, theocracy, where the supreme leader who has divine kind of, um, who's an expert in Islamic jurisprudence is seen as having like kind of a a divine right of of ruling the people and a divine authority. I just assume that, that they were always like that that they were always religiously based i didn't know that they were secular at some point no so i mean like they're obviously like like people were religious and the shah like the the mm-hmm. monarchy like um had relationships with many of the clergy and like sought to be um seen as legitimate in many ways like as to the people um in a religious mm-hmm. sense but um yes. no they they weren't like explicitly uh, they they didn't have the same kind of fundamentalist points of view on a whole range of kind of moral um, and religious issues. And the, right. the, the ulama, the um, Muslim, like the Shia religious leaders weren't influential in the way that they became following the revolution. Like the, the Ayatollah and the, right. the ulama became like the people who formerly were just religious leaders and now were the political leaders of the country too. Right. So that's like the the revolution in a nutshell, like the, just like the broad strokes. What are we talking about? Does that make sense? Do you have questions? No, that makes, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then we can talk a little bit about like some of the key events, like 77 to 79, and then we can go, we can just back Mm -hmm. up. Like, how do we get there? Does that work? Yes. Okay, Okay, cool. cool. 
Okay, so what are the kind of key things happening in um, like leading up to this? So one thing to know is that, um, so this um, Shah Muhammad Reza, who is this um, part of the Pahlavian dynasty is like seen as the, like the Iranian monarch is the, the autocratic ruler of Iran prior to the revolution. His Mm -hmm. regime was being challenged um, and starting in 1963 by Ayatollah Khomeini, who became the supreme leader of Iran following the revolution. So that's just important Mm -hmm. to have kind of like context, like Khomeini becomes like the the main adversary of the Shah regime. Um, And Mm -hmm. so all the events that we're talking about, like Khomeini comes up. So it's just relevant to know that he's in the mix, if that makes sense. Right. Okay. What are the key things that happened in 1977? So the like in 1977, between January and July, there's a whole series of um, letters, like open letters by journalists and, and lawyers and activists criticizing the, the, the power of the Shah. Um, then you have, you, you know, the, in October of that same year, um, a massive... Uh, poetry festival that attracts thousands of of participants for lectures that that are criticizing the government okay so 1977 we have these kind of like series of like public criticisms of the government 1978 in in january 6th um one iranian newspaper publishes this front page editorial um disparaging the um Ayatollah Khomeini, who's who's in exile, um, and it was like on the directive of the Shah, so that the Iranian monarch, that this editorial mm-hmm. is published, um, which causes a whole bunch of backlash. And then um, three days later, the main bazaar, um, which is like a kind of like a um, a marketplace kind of s- setup that was really common and actually really politically influential in various uh, cities across Iran. Um, the, the main mm-hmm. bazaar, which also includes uh, like some of Iran's largest uh, seminaries, so like religious institutions um, where mm-hmm. um, like young uh, religious leaders would learn about like Islam. Um, the, these seminaries close and they protest this kind of defamation of Khomeini. Um, and so you have thousands of protesters gather um, and attacking symbols of the monarchy. And then security forces crack down, kill about five people. Um, mm-hmm. By the next month, um, there's mourning ceremonies held uh, in cities across Iran um, on the 40th day following the death of those protesters. That's apparently in um, Shia Islam. That's a, a um, the way mourning is done, like 40 days after the, the death of someone. Um, so that then causes more protests, more protesters are killed. And then that sets off a series of massive protests, uh, violence from uh, the state and so on and so forth throughout this period across Iran. And then on June 7th, the Shah replaces the head of SAVEK, which is like their um, their intelligence agency that's been very... Um, widely criticized by protesters for their role in like capturing political prisoners, assassinating them, violently repressing protesters. So the Shah, in response to all this criticism, replaces this head of the the intelligence agency called SAVAK um, in an attempt to try and like appease protesters, like to show like, look, I'm listening, like we're switching out the the head of this um, hated kind of intelligence agency. Um, And then that they released 300... um, like religious leaders um, with this new head of this intelligence agency. So then they're like no longer political prisoners, but obviously are then more able to criticize the government. And then in the next couple of months, you have the same scenarios of like protests um, because uh, 
in this case, a, a cleric uh, dies in a, in a car crash um, and a number of other people are killed in like the, I guess the protests of it. And then finally there's riots in one of the cities, uh, Isfahan, um, Shiraz and a bunch of other cities in Iran. Um, and then martial mm-hmm. law is finally declared. So this is in August of 1978. Um, and then I guess one of the most like deadly incidents in the whole revolution is that um, on August 19th, 477 Iranians die in a fire at Cinema Rex in um, the city of Abadan. Um, and the the opposition of the Pahlavi regime, like the monarchy, blames Savak. They say like it's like an intelligence operation um, to try and make it look like um, like protesters did it or something because like for context mm-hmm. too, and we'll get into this in the background, but um, a lot of the protesters were criticizing um, westernization and modernization that was being brought in under the Shah. And so cinemas were seen as one site um, of like this westernization. Like it was seen as like kind of like a uh, an immoral uh, Western form of media like and, and culture. Right. And so cin- cinemas were often targeted by protesters amongst with other kind of right. symbols of, of uh Western modernity. The the opposition says Savak did it to make it look like we did it to like justify crackdown. Um, but after the revolution, it turns out that it was a it was a uh, uh, an opposition member like who was against the the Pahlavi regime who did it, and so he confessed to it and was prosecuted for arson later. But that's start of August. Uh, that's mid August, um, nineteen seventy eight. Um, okay, and then. Yeah, you have several, like, the protesters keep continuing. Um, There's more crackdown. 100 people are killed in um, Tehran's uh, main square, and that became known as uh, Black Friday. That's in September of that year. Um, And then um, the Shah starts to back down in November of 1978. He, He says, like, on national television, he's not going to repeat his mistakes. He says, I hear the voice of the revolution. As Shah of Iran and as an Iranian citizen, I cannot but approve of the revolution. So he's clearly changing mm-hmm. tone, right? From like martial law to basically saying like, I get it, like, don't be, uh, like, I understand we need a revolution, whatever. Um, and then Jimmy Carter, who was president at the time, after a week prior, having like publicly affirmed that the U.S. supports and has confidence in the Shah for ruling, um, Jimmy Carter like hedges his bets and says, you know, we we prefer the Shah maintains his his power, but it's a decision that the Iranian people can make. So obviously, the winds of change are are brewing. Even Jimmy Carter can tell that yeah, um, the Shah is <laughs> not long for this world. Um, and then <laughs> December of that year, you have again more protests. Um, demanding the removal of the Shah and that uh, Khomeini, this Ayatollah, should come in as the, the supreme leader. And then um, by January of that year, um, Khomeini forms this revolutionary council um, and Shah basically uh, resigns, leave, or he doesn't necessarily leave, uh, resign, but he leaves Iran for vacation and leaves this prime mm. minister that he's appointed who's supposed to be like who is a, a vocal critic of his own regime um, and is a, a fierce nationalist. Um, he gives, like he says, you're kind of in charge. So he, the Shah basically pieces out because he realized that he's probably about to die um, if he stays any, any longer. <laughs> okay, true. Um, and then from that point on, um, there's a, a transition of power. There's some, some minor conflict that follows. Um, I shouldn't say minor conflict because the U.S. Embassy gets attacked, a whole bunch of... Uh, Americans are held hostage there, and then there's a whole hostage swap oh my gosh. with the U.S. Is that like that movie that Ben Affleck is in? 
Oh, I have no idea. That Ben Affleck directed? No clue. It won an Oscar. Never heard no. of it. Sam, I, this Don't... was important. Is Ben oh. Affleck the one that um, J-Lo started up with again? Yes. Let okay. me see. Argo is based on the Canadian caper that took place during the Iran hostage crisis in oh. 1979 and 1980. Cool. I yeah, no idea. Kind of. So yeah, I, I'm obviously like collapsing a bunch of history now because like... Um... <laughs> Because, like, obviously, like, a lot of shit goes down after there's a hostage crisis, whatever. But I guess mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the, the bones of it is that, like, you have these series of protests. Um, and finally, the Shah ends up um, piecing out mm-hmm. and is, like, mm-hmm. leaves, leaves things in charge to the prime minister, who's a critic of his. And um, with the understanding that, like, the Ayatollah Khomeini will come in. And then he becomes the supreme leader. So he kind of has um, complete power in, in Iran at the time. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the breakdown, obviously, like, kind of general. Does, does this Shah just go on to, like, live, like, a long, happy life then? Like, um, he just gets out of there? He dies dead? shortly after, thereafter, I think. Like, he ends up fleeing in exile. He goes, I think, to, to, I think he goes to Paris, and then he goes to the U.S., and then he, he dies. Um, so he kind of dies, like, um, an ignominious death. Um Okay. Yeah, and it's, and but it's, it's not no like somebody longer. kills him. He just he no, just dies. no. He dies naturally. But he okay. he was he was he became and we'll kind of okay. get into it. He became extremely unpopular by the end of his tenure. Um, even like mm-hmm. like leading up to the revolution in seventy seven, like he was extremely unpopular. And after like even less popular, I think after all the violence, like I literally just said it wasn't that violent. But it, obviously there was like significant violence and, and repression still, um, by the right. by Shah, um who had like the military control and so he was extremely unpopular at the end so i don't think it was ever really like there was a strong likelihood that he could come back and try and like rally um you know what i mean which sometimes does happen in a lot of revolutions like yeah that that apparently from my understanding was not a a reality in iran i think i am a little bit lost in the weeds (laughs) okay what's what's losing your march obviously i lost Um, you but okay no, it wasn't you. It is it is on me. Um, so the the reason that people were protesting was because of like the Shah. They didn't like him and like his strict military regime. No. See, this is why no. maybe I should have done the causes first. <laughs> so sorry. No, that's okay. I mean, like the the it became, I think, like in a lot as in a lot of revolutions or in a lot of like political upheaval like a lot of like there was a cycle of protesting wherein people would protest the government and gather and then the government would violently repress them and then that made them look worse and so then they continued to protest but that isn't really like the root cause of the revolution like the the root cause Mm -hmm. has a lot Mm -hmm. more to do with uh western with the shah's modernization efforts and basically income inequality in iran but um so those are where the initial kind of criticisms of of um the shah come from okay okay then following that the like violent repression over and over does not help his case and so he becomes less and less popular Right. So like kind of initially what he was doing wasn't inherently bad, 
but it was the way he handled it that then caused people to turn against him. Yeah, I mean, not really. Like, I, I should say he was hated even before, like, the protest. <laughs> okay. Like, he was hated. Like, he was not a popular right. leader. Um, and his his influence in Iran was, like, waning very quickly even before this. So I don't think he had a okay. huge amount of support um, from my understanding. Yes. And then the violent repression was, like, just the last straw. Like, the people just after that right. were like, okay. fuck this guy. Um, okay. So, in so many words. So I think can, that's helped a bit. Okay. I've wrapped my head around it a little bit more. Yeah, well, we can, you know what? We're, this is kind of like a, it's like when you have dessert before you eat your meal. We oh, kind yeah. of, I kind of did it backwards and didn't maybe work. So now we'll get into like kind of a bit more <laughs> of the background, the context of the revolution, like what's happening before in Iran, like what are the people protesting? And maybe that will make it make more sense, hopefully. Right. To be fair, I requested that we have dessert before dinner. So that's on me for my request. You I didn't think it through. <laughs> silly, silly girl. Creepy. <laughs> Creepy when I say it like that. Okay, well, let's do the background now. So, okay. So, like I said, so the so the revolution happens in in seventy nine, and we just talked a little bit about like seventy seven to seventy nine. Now we'll talk. Mm-hmm. A, we'll back it up a bit, just so we have a bit of context. So. Um, the most relevant thing to understand, I guess, like to understand like this Pahlavi regime, like the Shahs, like is to understand that um, in 1953, there's a coup in Iran that is backed by the United States, classic, and the UK, <laughs> where they overthrow mm-hmm. then Prime Minister uh, Mossadegh in favor of this Pahlavi monarchy. Um, because at the time Churchill and Eisenhower were fearing there was going to be this communist takeover in Iran. And so they wanted to install um, Shah Reza. They see like the Shah as being like a a supporter of um, the West and of modernization and and, um, capitalism rather than communism. And so for those reasons, they... Uh, orchestrate or support a coup in Iran, which then is, mm-hmm. installs this monarchy. So right. the the monarchy itself um, does not have a lot of political legitimacy necessarily to start. I would say um, for that reason, right? Like it's it's not like it was um, like it wasn't elect it wasn't an elected decision. It was a coup, and apparently the prime minister Mossadegh who was overthrown was popular and had been elected by the people. And so mm. that's already, you're kind of off on the wrong foot, right? When you, you have like yeah. basically the, the reintroduction of this, this monarchy. So that's how right. it's like, we've already done democracy and then the States comes in and goes, but not the way we wanted you to do it. So. Yeah. And so it's like, Oh, that's not great. So that's like the, yeah. the starting yeah. point for us, I guess, to think about. And then some of the first things that the Shah regime um, do is that they basically ban all kinds of um, labor unions, professional associations and independent political parties. So they right off the bat, oh eliminate any kind of political representation for the people and particularly like low and and middle class people because it's only like people who are close to the Pahlavis who can influence policy Mm -hmm. that for the Mm -hmm. most part favors extremely wealthy people and so that's kind of that's how the ball gets rolling and then you couple that with a couple of other things so so yeah so in 1963 the Chauvin undertakes this um this concerted kind of modernization program that he calls the white Mm -hmm. revolution. And so, I mean, 
it's a whole series of reforms. It's like a national development program. Um, it's trying to abolish mm. this kind of um, landlord surf system of um, of like land ownership. So basically like transfer land to like poor um, rural Iranians, nationalize forests, reform the electoral system, give women um, kind of a, 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 a option in like politics, like to influence politics, um, compulsory right. education. Some of the things that we might think of as like um, liberal liberal reforms like western mm-hmm. kind of liberal mm-hmm. reforms um right and that uh Khomeini like Ayatollah Khomeini who we've talked about as being like who becomes the supreme leader of Iran that's when he becomes this like figure of opposition um in that same year he uh denounces the regime um for you know, capitulating to Americans, for capitulating to Westernization, um, for you know, allying with Israel against the other Arab world, and so um, that starts a whole series of protests. Then, like this is in the mm-hmm. '60s already, and then um, Khomeini is exiled to Turkey. So Khomeini, this whole revolution that I, we, we talked about in '77 to '79, Khomeini isn't even in the country for. He's like, oh, he's like, he's because he's exiled in, in 1963. So he's able to communicate his message because he very skillfully gets the support of um, most of the religious leaders in um, Iran. And so he's able to communicate a lot of his messages to them and and through them to the people. So that's kind of how it it takes place. So so 1963, you have this like huge national development program and, and where the oil comes in, because I said oil would come in. Is that under Khomeini, or sorry, not under Khomeini, under the um, Shah Reza, there's huge efforts to huge economic development in um, oil and gas. So in 1953, uh, when the coup takes place, uh, Iran receives like, say, $34 million in in oil revenues in one year. Mm -hmm. By 1973, so 20 years later, they make about five billion dollars in, in oil revenues oh, wow. so 34 million to five billion and so right. a huge economic development and a, about 30 million of that um five million i think is spent on huge like economic and social projects um you know education system in, in encouraging industry state bureaucracy it increases the right. size of this like middle class of um educated people like engineers professors, medical personnel, and also kind of like an urban working class that work in the the industries in oil and gas, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you do have like an, an increase of these, these, um, these people and also an urbanization too, because people are moving largely into the city where there's kind of more opportunity. Um, so there's also kind of like this this tension so like it's it kind of sounds like it's going okay right now for Shah Reza <laughs> like you would say right like you know he's having these reforms he's developing these social programs but f- there is for the most part it was the extremely wealthy like I said that benefited the most from um the the oil and gas revenues from industry and um the, the middle class and particularly the working class um, did not at all. And they also didn't have any kind of political representation because like we said, the labor unions didn't exist. Professional associations didn't exist. Independent right. political parties didn't. So it became very difficult for them to kind of have any uh, representation in government. Um, mm-hmm. And so while the standards of living improve for many and there's access to like these modern consumer kind of American goods like refrigerators, TVs, air conditioners, you also at the same time have a huge proliferation of like, um, shanty towns of that lack mm. like uh, so people are living like without 
proper housing. Um, Tehran, which is a, at the time was a city of 4 million people, had no proper sewage system or transit. Um, so there was mm-hmm. a real kind of, um, for, yeah, the working people and and the middle class, there were, there were the benefits were not shared by them, but like this economic development. And the Shah's younger right. brother, um, I, I read this in an article that was quite interesting. They said it was Mary Antoinette-esque. The Shah's younger brother said, <laughs> I'm not sure when he said this, but he said, if people don't like traffic jams, why don't they buy helicopters? Because at the time too, there was a lack of like road infrastructure, huge traffic jams apparently um, in, in the major cities in Iran. And so, you know, he's mm-hmm. saying, why don't you buy a helicopter? So out of touch, um, huge income inequality. And there was also conspicuous like consumer spending by these like these wealthy people and also some massive financial scandals in the seventies and like in the early seventies by like members of the Royal family or like his commanders in chief in, in the army. And so that also became um, like controversial. Um, mm-hmm. Is that all making sense so far? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's kind of one dimension is this, like this Westernization so part of that produces like the economic conditions where you have like this this growing middle and urban working class that doesn't have political representation and isn't sharing in the benefits that um you know the, the wealthy upper class is benefiting from and this these mm-hmm. oil revenues the, these modernization efforts so that's kind of one element is the, the economic there's the lack of political representation too and then right. um kind of another element of it is of course like the the religious element, which we've talked a little bit about, but, um, so like I said, like the Khomeini was able to transmit a lot of his revolutionary messages through mosques across Iran. Um, and if you think about it, like most communication in Iran, like for like people critical of the government had already been kind of preempted by, um, the Shah's decision to, um, like eliminate labor unions, political parties, anything else like that. So, so like the, the way that people could associate and um, kind of foment dissent was through um, mosques and through gathering there and, and listening to religious right. leaders who were okay. transmitting um, the Ayatollah's uh, message um, despite being in exile. And so that becomes kind of like a, a critical venue through which obviously this revolution takes place. And then you see the, the installation of um, the Ayatollah as the supreme leader. Um, and mm-hmm. so that comes about like through many different, like there's many different kind of elements to that. Like um, obviously there's like the, this existing network of uh, religious scholars and leaders and uh, imams who already exist in Iran who are able to like mm-hmm. transmit this message. Um, Khomeini is also successful in trying to bring about these kind of new um, spiritual and kind of political uh, ideologies um, within Shia Islam that, you know, um, we need to go back to oneself also like kind of return to our Islamic roots um, a rejection of mm-hmm. what they called West toxication. So like this kind of like intoxication through Westernization. And so it was through the propagation of um, Khomeini's ideas um, through the religious leaders in Iran that you start to see like a, a larger group of clergy in the country who are resisting the Shah's efforts, who see his moderniza- modernization efforts as being like um, giving into Western imperialism and Western cultural values as being like okay. fundamentally anti-Islamic. 
And two, with obviously right. all this like urbanization and economic development and the development of these shanty towns, you also have like an increase in crime, an increase in prostitution. Um, there's like kind of more, mm-hmm. you know, liberal Western values on perhaps on sex and a whole bunch of other things. And so that mm-hmm. also creates a backlash amongst many of the um, Shia ulama, the, the kind of the religious leaders in the country. And so that becomes a significant kind of um, another avenue through which you see this political organization and, and why you see today um, the installation of a of um, a Shia theocracy basically in Iran is because the, the revolution amongst like, you know, rejecting the economic situation, rejecting the political conditions was also rejecting like the, the cultural changes that took place under uh, the Shah, that this kind of westernization. And so right. the, the revolution was fundamentally about returning to um, kind of Islamic nationalist Iranian roots. So, okay. Anyways, that's all I have. Well, I have way more, but that's all I'm going to wow. say because I think it's confusing <laughs> if I keep going. <laughs> okay. Let me go over it. Yeah. So basically leading up to this point before you had the introduction of the theocracy, yeah. the Shah that you had, he was like majorly into like westernization vibes, but it wasn't helping the lower class and middle class because yeah. they didn't have a lot of political clout or like any at all. Yeah. And they, there was, and then there was the religious aspect, which was more like, look, like with these things, it's not really following like Islamic traditions and with like, we're, we're losing some of our values when we introduce westernization. Right. And then, and then politically, there was economic, there was the social with religious and the political issue was, was what? Well, the political issue was just that they shut down like the labor unions, the political parties, like they had no representation. So um, when you, yeah, exactly. And then economically, it was just like people were not doing very well under this new regime unless they were like uber rich yeah. already and had exactly. like strength. Okay. Yeah. And so that all led up to the the kind of like blow. Yeah. So that's that's all, cool. some okay. of the, some of the main things that lead up to like the seventy seven, you know, protests, right. and then you get the repression by the Shah regime, which then institutes mm-hmm. like initiates more protests against the violence, and then so on and so forth until. Um, the Shafli's and this uh, Ayatollah Khomeini becomes the the supreme leader. And and with Ayatollah Khomeini, it mm-hmm. becomes the theocracy that we still see today. It's yeah. It's, so he so yeah. he died. Um, I think in eighty nine, maybe or or maybe shortly thereafter. And there's a new um, supreme leader, a new Ayatollah. So also like an a, a kind of a, a Shia religious leader. So um, uh, right. not not Khomeini, but Khomeini, I think. And so he's the new um, supreme leader. Are they leader. democratically elected or? So not democratically elected. Um, they Iran does no. have like uh, a president and perhaps a prime minister as well. And they do have elections, but for all right. intents and, and purposes, like the, the supreme leader Khomeini presently has unilateral power and can exert okay. it however he he chooses um okay. so and, I, and i'm not sure to what extent like other functions are delegated to you know elected persons but for for major yes. policy decisions the the supreme leader decides wow and yeah. so the big things that came out of the revolution were kind of like this switch then that's yeah. kind of like the big thing that came out of it yeah. yeah. So like a return to like, ah. um, very much like, um, 
fundamentalist uh, values, um, a rejection of Western modernity. So like changes in foreign policy, mm-hmm. um, changes in like human rights for um, for women and children and other like marginalized people. Um, yeah. A whole kind of s- series of, of changes, um, changes That's in like, their governance. Yeah. And wow. so, and so like, it's like weird to think of like what would happen if like the U S and the UK hadn't gotten involved in the fifties and like taken away that one leader and then put in the monarchy. Yeah. Like to think of where Iran might be now and like what yeah. the difference is. And that was the whole thing, right? Like the, the part of the reason the people rejected the, the Pahlavi regime was because they were seen as being like basically just the lapdogs of the U.S. And they kind of were like they were just instituting these yes. these liberal uh, modern reforms that were seen as being pro-American. Yeah. And so that caused right. the backlash. And I'm sure if you had a more um, moderate, more conservative person, you probably wouldn't have like a revolution yes. that institutes this that very kind of strict fundamentalist yeah. theocracy now. So Right. Anyways. Good job, Sam. Thanks. That was hard. Thanks. It's honestly confusing AF. No, it, but you you brought it together. It was my fault that I made a swap <laughs> at the start, but you really brought it together. And like, I'm glad that I know now and like, oh, I'm frozen. I'm sure that all that audio clip is going to be like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it'll be perfect. Okay. perfect. But no, that's so interesting because I had just thought that Iran was always the way that it is now, which is very like fundamentalist and right. religiously based. But that's so interesting to know that it didn't happen like that and kind of the events that made it the way it is. Yeah. And we'll actually, we'll kind of talk about that and significance. Oh, there's significance. Spoiler. I thought when you said yeah. you were done, you were like, I'm out. No, no. Like I thought, <laughs> you know, that's kind of the background and then we can do, sorry, we can do a little bit of, there's not a whole lot in significance, but like there, there's stuff. Cool. Okay. Okay. How is your custard shake though? Hey, it's good. I didn't eat a lot today. Not selling me. Um, so okay. I was really hungry and then I chugged a whole bunch of it. And I think that made me a little sick just yes. because I haven't eaten anything. And then I tried to have a whole milkshake, a custard shake actually. Yeah. I really like them. Custard shakes are not everyone's cup of tea. I'll say that, but I'm a right. big fan. I think it could have had slightly more chocolate, but Honestly, overall, I love it and would go back if I wanted a good milkshake. So you sold me on it. I would love to try a custard shake. That sounds really good. That's well, so unique too. Like I can't think of another place but that I've been that's had a custard no. shake. So, anyways, how is your? No, I'm trying to think if I've heard of it before. Um, my mango slushy with pearl is very yummy. Yeah. I have to say, like I think I am a bubble tea girl at heart. So slush right. isn't normally what I go for, right? but it is yummy. It tastes somewhat of like artificial mango. Like it's not like freshly squeezed mango with slush, right? but it is, it is good. If like right. on a day like today, when it's really toasty out, I would try it again. So. Right. So the textural quality is kind of different than maybe what you'd want. I just think slushing. like, I prefer, I prefer with bubble tea, like more of like a creamy base. Mm, yeah, Whereas I, I know like some people are like more of like a watery, like they like the slush, they like those flavors, which that's not really my go-to. So it's just different. You're talking <laughs> to a guy with a custard shake. I get it. Creamy yeah. all the way. <laughs> you know what it's all about. Yeah, yes, I get exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Sam, why should I 
care about the Iranian Revolution? Well, a couple of reasons, Maria. The first one, obviously, <laughs> is that like it instituted, as we talked about, like this transition from um, a secular regime to a theocratic one. Um, yeah. That it, that, and it's still theocratic to this day. And so that's one element. Another element is that this is my religious studies background coming out. Hello. Um, yeah, I couldn't let it go. Um, <laughs> one thing that's interesting is that in the 60s and the 70s, a lot of scholars and commentators, um, like theorists just broadly, had thought that religion was going to disappear from the world. So, so you know, sociologists, um, like, oh. like scholars, academics, like political actors in the West, obviously, considered that religion was going to fade away from the world, that it that we were, you know, going to become a, a secular world, that societies naturally follow this trajectory of being like having small like cults and then forming uh, mm-hmm. sects and then becoming, you know, maybe churches like the Catholic church. And then eventually people, you know, take up science and reason and reject religion and so slowly through that process countries would become modern quote-unquote and would reject religion Mm -hmm. and so you know the west was seen kind of like western countries like the united states canada england where um religion had less and less of an influence on or directly at least on politics it was seen to be um you know religion no longer had any influence obviously the uh iranian revolution totally upends that trend right because we're not seeing this revolution where we have like say even in the french revolution where you have like the ancien regime the divine right of kings um like the the first estate or or maybe second estate whichever one were the clergy that had like all this power um and, and then it becoming you know a secular um republic you instead have the opposite right you're going from a a monarchy still but a secular one to a um theocracy so that was that like made waves around the world because it was seen as like a total reversal of a whole bunch of trends and that like religion was kind of here to stay and clearly is here to stay right like they're still Mm -hmm. um a theocratic regime so it's not like they were doomed to fail because they were somehow religiously Mm -hmm. governed um so that's another thing and then the last thing obviously is like um, if you're following like the news a little bit right now, Iran just held its election for uh, a president um, and they elected like a um, Abraham Raisi, who is apparently a, a, you know, a hardliner, not interested in, in uh, necessarily negotiating with the U.S. on the the Iranian nuclear deal, um, which mm-hmm. if you remember, um, I think Obama signed and then Trump pulled out of it and basically the deal was to try and like was mutually agreed upon by the U.S. and several other actors in Iran that would say like Iran would no longer enrich uranium at a level that would allow it to like produce nuclear weapons and so Mm -hmm. the U.S. had signed on and then Trump pulled out of the deal I can't remember why um and then following the U.S.'s assassination of um Qasem Soleimani uh, in 2020, which you might remember, he was like seen as kind of being like the right hand man of the supreme leader. He was killed right. by an American drone strike. Then Iran yes. said it was no longer going to abide by the deal. So now with the Biden administration, they're trying to like maybe uh, renegotiate and get Iran back on the the nuclear deal and perhaps to expand it as well to to make it more right. uh, stringent. And so it's it's become quite like a a flashpoint in foreign policy too, to this day. 
um, yeah, this, these kind of tense relations that come out of this history. Yes. Yeah. So anyways. Wow. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. So yeah, that's all I have to say today. Well, so Sam, would you, I guess you obviously are going back to, was it pie and burger? Clive burger. No, close. Um, pie and burger. I like that. <laughs> Clive burger? Uh, Clive, Clive. Like the name Cl- like rhymes with chive Clive with an L. Oh. Clive. Oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe I'm, not, maybe I'm not enunciating. <laughs> um, I like, I'll go, I, I don't know if I'll, I'll go back for sure because it's like, I have to be in the real mood, but like if I wanted a good milkshake and I was around, I would go back. So Okay, um, fair, fair. So maybe go back, I guess, is the, yeah. the thing. What's yours? I think I'll go back because it's right beside where I like to get my nails done in White Rock. Right. So it's just convenient. And it is, it's one of the few places in White Rock that isn't like a chain bubble tea store, which mm. is really nice. So I feel right. like I'm supporting like a local business. So right. Rather than. I do like it. Good. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, cheers to you, babe. <laughs> cheers to us Um, us. we haven't said it in a while but if you're new here hi hello welcome if you could review rate subscribe on all whatever listening platform you're doing this on we would very much appreciate it you guys so appreciate appreciate it you are valued your voice is heard (laughs) not even just valued you're actually valid yes so valid (laughs) the two v's that count valuable and valid valid. (laughs) Valued, sorry, not valuable. Like, what are they? Like, oil? <laughs> you are our hottest commodity. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. There's um, pebbles in the background. She's ready to she's mess around. <laughs> are you, do you know what you're talking about next week, Marge, or no? Um, I do not know, no. Okay. I'm in a, I, to be quite fair, I'm in a bit of a funk right now. Mm. And so we'll, we'll see how life goes. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, we hear you. We and the listeners you. were just... We're, we're here we're here for you <laughs> if every listener could please venmo me five venmo, dollars, yeah, it would five. help my week that'd be so nice <laughs> that'd be so great thanks yeah. <laughs> okay well thanks for listening everyone we'll talk to you all next week goodbye Bye.